Thanks, Dave. It is so good to see you guys. Where am I? Put my coffee right here. It's so good to, to be here. And uh, we are continuing our series this morning uh, called The Ark of the Bible. We are doing this bird's eye view of the grand story of of the of the Bible, and we started in creation, and we're going to move all the way through uh, to new creation here in a in a few weeks. Uh, but today, uh, I'm really excited. I am going to cover uh, the patriarchs. So we're going to cover everything from Genesis 12 through Genesis 50 today. Uh, so obviously, we can't get into all the the details therein. Uh, but we're, we're like I said, it's just this. Kind of big, grand overview. But let's catch us up real quick. Uh, the story so far, uh, we've learned the last couple weeks uh, that God created a very good creation. And so this is on the, the far left of our timeline, that, that yellow section. Um, this is the first two chapters of, of Genesis. God created a very good creation. We learned that human beings are created as image bearers of God, and we have been called uh, to be stewards, to be co-rulers of the earth with God. And we were created to live in a place of shalom, uh, which is the Hebrew word for peace and wholeness. And that was going pretty well until we got to chapter 3 of Genesis. And last week we talked about The fall, how human rebellion brought sin and death into our world, which corrupts everything. But we also saw how God does not give up on his creation. He promises to send a, a descendant, a seed of the woman Eve, who would one day set all things right again. Right, that was the great hope that we looked at last week, this uh, what scholars call the proto-evangelion. The, the, the first hint of the gospel is there in Genesis chapter 3, the promise that God would come through to set things right again. And then, unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about great stories like Cain and Abel and, and Noah and, and the flood and the Tower of Babel. I encourage you guys to, to read that for yourselves And at the end of chapter 11, after the the Tower of Babel incident, the story of God moves from this grand focus on all of humanity, and it it, it focuses down uh, to Noah's son, Shem. And then from Shem to the clan of Terah in Haran, which is in uh, modern-day northern Iraq. And then all of the attention focuses on one man, on Abraham. And so that is where we are going to be talking today. This little orange section, Abraham, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob, and Joseph. And we're going to start by looking at Genesis chapter 12, where God turns up and gives um, Abraham... Currently, he's Abram, but later on in the, in the text, right, God changes his name to Abraham. And so God shows up to Abram and gives him this amazing call and this amazing promise. Genesis 12, 
verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we see the, the narrative narrowing in again right, on, on Abraham. And as we read through the, the text with fresh eyes, we, we might ask, right, has God given up on everyone else? Right? He tried with Adam and Eve, that didn't go very well. Tried again with Noah and his sons, that didn't go very well. Maybe he's just like, you know, humanity's too tough to deal with. I'm just going to take care of this guy and this little nation. But God has not given up on everybody else. Right? God gives Abraham these amazing promises for the benefit of the whole world. He is going to fulfill his promise made to the woman through Abraham. So we see in in this text, God makes these amazing promises that he's going to make Abraham's family into a great nation. Currently, it's just him and his wife, a couple of kids, a couple of people with him. They're in a, a, a place, they're heading to a place where they don't know anybody, where they're unknown, and they're just, and God promises this. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm with you. I'm going to make your name great. Right? We, we're reading so much into this text, right? We know Abraham. He's the father of the faith. He is great. We know it. But in this part, right, in, if we were just reading it like a story, we would be going, how is he going to do that? Like, this guy's nobody in a, in a foreign nation. What's he going to do? He promises to make Abraham's name great, to make him a blessing, to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. God promises, I'm going to be with you, Abraham. And to bless all peoples, all clans, all families on earth through you. And this is is stunning. Again, and, and so I'm really trying to pull back from this idea of like, oh, we've read this story so many times, right? But to think that this guy in the middle of nowhere has an encounter with the living God. Right? We're just a few chapters away from describing this God as the creator, the, the only eternal one, right? That spoke all things into existence, who formed the man with his hands and breathed life into him, right? This cosmic creator, comes and has a conversation with this guy, Abraham. And he gives them these amazing promises. And I'm just reminded that we get to have this kind of relationship too. Right? This Abraham, yeah, Abraham is special. He's the father of the faith. He's a really big deal. But guess what? We get to have a similar face-to-face intimate relationship with God too because of what Jesus has done. And I'm reminded when I'm journaling, when I'm praying, and I say something like, God, what do you want to say to me today? So often, it's these same things. Mark, I'm with you. And I'm for you. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. Don't worry. I'm with you. 
Right? And, and I can get, I'm like, yeah, 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 God, you've said that before, but what do you have for me? No, Mark, I want you to get it. I'm going to bless you. I'm for you. I've got something for you. You are going to be a blessing to other people. And that is what we want to uh, really highlight from this big overview of, of Scripture. That God's plan is to bless all people on earth through Abraham. God here is responding to, to what had gone wrong with creation. Right? We learned last week things have gone horribly awry. But through Abraham, God creates a nation. He creates Israel to be God's own people among all people on earth. Through Israel, God will bring his blessing to all other people. He did not call Israel to be separate. Well, I mean, he certainly did call Israel to be separate, right? He did, but not to hide, not to run out into the desert, not to be by themselves. But they were called, set apart, called holy, God's very own people, in order to be a blessing, in order to be a light to all the nations. And God reaffirms this promise in Genesis 18. Where it says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him. So that he will direct his children and his household after him. To keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. These promises are reiterated to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 18 and 21 and 20. Like it's over and over. God is very, very clear. I'm going to do this, Abraham. God has called him to be a channel through whom God's restoration will flow all over the world. That's amazing. God chose this man and this nation to be the channel through which blessing flows. And here's another little aside. God has chosen us to be a channel to pour his blessing into, his, into the world. This is why it matters what we do. When we live in righteousness and truth and in justice, we are channeling God's goodness into the world. And when we sin, when we live out of selfishness and pride, right, we're channeling darkness and corruption into our world, into our family, into our sphere of influence. We need to recognize that what we do has more impact than what we see. We're spiritual beings with real authority. And so we see here that from the beginning, God's people are called to be missionaries. They're called to be sent out channels of blessing to others. And, and as I was reading this, I was like, well, what does that mean? We say blessing all the time, right? We you know, go out to, to, to dinner and uh, put a picture, picture of our, our meal, and has, hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed. Right? We get uh, up... <laughs> Israel, you could start using that, hashtag blessed. It's good. <laughs> 
so we, you know, we get uh, we get a great parking spot at, at Meyer, and we're like, oh God, so good. Thank you for this blessing. That's good. I mean, it's fine, right? We get bumped up to first class. We're like, oh God's really blessed me, All right? But actually, blessing is a bit bigger than that. It's a little bit bigger than that, and. I just did a quick, we could spend a lot of time on this, but just doing a a quick look at what blessing looks like in in the Bible, we see God blessing individuals in in Job 42. He gives them provision and wealth and family. That's a blessing. It's a blessing. We see that God blesses groups of people in Exodus 32. They're getting ready to, to, to build the, the ark and all the, the things. And God blesses them with an anointing for service. Right? They're not, these guys aren't pastors. They aren't the priests. Uh, I mean, some of them are, but what he's talking about here, these are just, these are like the, the regular folks that are just doing life, right? They're creating and they're building and they're carpenters and God blesses them for service to be a blessing to others. We see in Jeremiah 4 and Deuteronomy 26 as well as all sorts of other places that God blesses nations uh, with communities of truth and justice and righteousness. And all of these things are not an end to themselves, right? God pours out blessing in order for us to be a blessing. So God continues on these, these promises of, of blessing to, to, to Abraham. And then in chapter 15, and again 17, but in 15, uh, God makes a covenant. And it's like the difference between God kind of, uh, you know, it's like or a person asking someone to marry them. Like, oh, that's good, right? But then there's the marriage. There's the wedding, which is this covenant setting uh Thing. I, should, I don't know. What's that? Ceremony. Ceremony. There it is. Boom. Thank you, Israel. <laughs> so, and, so there, and so God is saying, it's not that God's promises were untrustworthy in chapter 12, but the, what they did in that day was when something was serious, when two nations or two clans wanted to make a commitment, they would make a covenant, a contract or agreement. And in the Old Testament, this word translated covenant is uh, berit. And berit has its root, it means to cut. Uh, and so when we see that uh, to make a covenant, it's, make, it's like this idea of like, they cut a covenant. They cut a covenant. And this comes from this uh, idea, or it's a reference to cutting animals in half. And this is just an artist's depiction of Abraham's covenant with, uh, with God and and God tells Abraham, he says, go and get some bulls and some sheep and some birds. And Abraham cuts them in half and, and puts them uh, opposite each other. Right? And the, what would happen in the, in the covenant, uh, they would sacrifice these animals. And the two people making the covenant would walk down between these carcasses, declaring, you know, let this happen to me if I break this covenant. But what's different in, in, in Genesis 15 is that God puts Abraham to sleep. Abraham falls asleep, and God himself, uh, represented by this firebrand, alone passes through the animals. 
saying, let this happen to me if I don't keep these promises. It's amazing. And it's important that we we think and we remember that these covenant promises to Abraham actually precede the giving of the law. We're going to talk about that next week. But the law has not been given yet. And so righteousness is not found foundationally through keeping the law, but through faithfulness to God. It says this in Genesis 15:6, Abraham believed the Lord, put his faith in the Lord, trusted the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Paul references this in Galatians and in Romans as he was combating this false belief that it was our works of the law that made us righteous. So Galatians 3. So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. We're called to faith. We're saved by faith, not by works. He says again in, it's not Romans 3, it's Romans 4, chapter, uh, verse 3 to 5. Uh, it says, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So both of these these, uh, texts pointing back to Genesis 15, where Abraham is made righteous through his faithfulness. And so faith, or I, I love to, when I see faith in, in the Bible, I immediately translate it as allegiance. Allegiance. Trusting in God. This is the key element of God's work in our lives and God's work in the world. It is our allegiance that matters. And of course, this allegiance, we are uh, align ourselves with God and we are filled with his spirit so, and we are set free from sin and death so that we can fulfill the law. Right? This doesn't mean the law is unimportant or it is nothing or we can ignore it and just do what we want. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that doesn't get us anywhere. Right? We follow, we obey God's commands, God's law because we have been accepted through faith. And Abraham's life reveals kind of his growth in his own faithfulness. And it, it's, it's funny, as we read the, the story of Abraham, he has these ridiculous ups and downs in his life, in his relationship with God. He has moments of beautiful faithfulness followed by foolishness and disobedience. Can anybody kind of go, oh yeah, I get that. I, that's me. I see myself so much in in Abraham. There's times I am solid. And there's times I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, I'm just going to, I just want to hide. Right? I'm growing. I'm growing 
in faithfulness like Abraham did. And in Genesis 22, God tests Abraham. There's these ups and downs. And in 22, God tests Abraham. Abraham finally has his son Isaac, this promised son. He's been waiting for over 50 years for this son. Oh, here it is. It's Isaac. And God says to him, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. I don't really have time to to go into this, but this text in in 22 verse 2, if we compare it to uh, Abraham's original call back in Genesis 12, there's this repeated theme, this this threefold call. In, In 12, it's like, leave your family, leave your region, leave your whatever it was, right? Leave these three things, everything that was important and valuable to him. God says, leave and go to a place I'll show you. And then again, here in the testing, God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, once again, this invitation, will you lay it all down and go to a place where I will show you? And will you trust me in that? And so Abraham has learned to trust. He has learned to fear God above all things, so he obeys. I can't imagine the... like like praying through with, with Isaac. Like, I have these real bad memories of when my dad tried to sacrifice me. Uh, and that would be very tragic. But luckily, the angel of the Lord turns up and, and stops Abraham's hand. Right? And says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The story goes on and Abraham looks up and he sees a a ram in a thicket. And he goes over and he takes the ram and he sacrifices that instead of uh, his son. We see this is a, a foreshadowing, right, that God provided a ram to to die in Isaac's place, so God also uh, supplies a sacrifice, one to die in our place, when he sent his son Jesus, born a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins. So once again, we see this glimmer of the gospel way back in Genesis. Well, we have to keep moving. There's so much to talk about there, but Genesis 25 to 36. I'm now going to sum up these 11 chapters. Uh, these tell the story of Isaac, um, Abraham's son Isaac, and then his sons Esau and Jacob. So here we have Isaac, the son of promise. Uh, he And he's just like his dad far from perfect. He actually does the, the same kind of sins that his dad did. And when Abraham was kind of wandering around trying not to get himself killed, uh, he's in Egypt and he, he's like, man, I better tell everybody that, that Sarah is my wife so that people treat me well. Not a, not a great plan. Does not work out well for anybody. Oh, his sister. What'd I say? Oh, yeah, that would have been the truth. Sister. Yeah, you know that. Yeah. 
So, and so Isaac does the same thing. He's running away from somebody that's trying to kill him, and he does the same thing, right? And so he falls into this same kind of faithlessness that his dad did. But uh, ultimately, uh, he has twin sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob uh, is seen in Scripture as this schemer and this trickster. He tricks his brother Esau into giving up his birthright. He tricks his father Isaac into giving him the blessing uh, instead of his brother. Like, the guy's a bit of a mess, right? And uh, yet God, in, in, in his faithfulness to his promises, right, out of Jacob, the schemer, comes the 12 tribes of Israel which as our story progresses, we will see is a very, very big deal. And in in, in throughout the stories of Isaac and Jacob, uh, we see God uh, reaffirming his promises that were given to Abraham over and over again. And what we can learn through the, the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is that God uses regular people to fulfill his purposes, which is amazing. I mean, imagine if the Bible was full of like Abraham was perfect and did everything great and and God worked through him. And then Isaac was perfect and did everything great and then God used him. And Jacob was perfect and did everything great. Like, that would be like, oh man, I I got nothing. What am I going to do? But the, the text is very clear. These guys are a mess. But God is faithful. And so we don't have any excuse. We can't go, well, God can't use me because look what I did last week or last year or what I did when I was younger. No, that is what God specializes in. Using broken people to fulfill his purposes. And we see in these stories, God overcomes all sorts of obstacles to work out his plan for his chosen people. So a takeaway from 25 to 37 of Genesis is that God is faithful. He is called El Shaddai. Does anybody else remember that song, El Shaddai, by Amy Grant? El Shaddai, El Shaddai, something else in that and I. I don't know the words. That's a good one. Uh, that was like that was like that was like a hot track when I was young. And it was like. Anywho, she's married to somebody now. That's it. Yes, yeah, Vince Gill. Anyway, I wonder if they sit around and sing El Shaddai. That'd be fun. Anyway, El Shaddai is, uh, we find this name for God in Genesis 17 and 28 and 35 and 48. And in the NIV, it's translated God Almighty. In the New King James, it's translated, they spin it around, it's called, it's translated Almighty God. But when we see those words together, we can remember, right, that's El Shaddai. The powerful one. The almighty one. The sovereign God. Overcoming obstacles. Overcoming every circumstance to fulfill His promise. And we see El Shaddai move very powerfully in the final story of Genesis. Chapter 37 to 50 where we find Joseph's story. This is, this is Donny Osmond from Joseph's New Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat from Broadway. All right, forget that. Let's go here. This is, uh, 
So Joseph is uh, one of the, the sons of Jacob. His name is uh, eventually changed to, to Israel. And uh, he is, like, he's the closest we've got to, like, oh, he's a good guy, right? He does a lot of good things. But he is a bit of a brat at the beginning of this story, right? Like, his brothers are annoyed with him. His dad's annoyed with him. I imagine his mom gets annoyed with him because he's like, oh, hey, look at me. I got this dream, and you guys were all bowing down to me. This is great. you know." And they're like, oh. And so the, his brothers really dislike him, and so they uh, capture him. They throw him into a pit. They sell him into slavery in Egypt. But God, that's, that's probably not a great summary of the story. It's a really good story. So either read it in the Bible or watch Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Just, just read it in the Bible. It's fine. Uh, just read it. And, um, but God takes this thing, this terrible thing, the brothers capturing and selling him into to slavery, and he uses it to provide for the growing nation of Israel. And I forgot to put this uh, verse in the, in the slideshow, but Genesis 45, 5-7, J- uh, Joseph says this to his brothers because they sold him into slavery and they'd forgotten about him and, uh, they're, and they're, a famine hits the land. And they don't know how they're going to eat. And their father says, wait, I've heard that there is food in Egypt. So go down there and see if you can get some food and bring it back so that we don't die. Well, what they didn't realize is that their brother Joseph, through the sovereign grace of God, had risen up. And he's now the second in command, the second highest uh, ranking official in Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. And they stand before Joseph. And eventually, and the story is great, but eventually he says this in 45, 5-7. Now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God uses these terrible, tragic situations and he turns them for good. And so Genesis ends with a partial fulfillment of these promises. Now, uh, the nation of Israel has, has grown. In 47.27, it says, Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. And so Jacob's family is large and is flourishing. But they're in the wrong place. And we're going to see uh, over the next couple of weeks how God continues to fulfill these great promises and gets them out of Egypt and into the promised land. But to, to close, I want to once again show where we find Jesus revealed in this part of the ark. In Genesis 49, um, Isaiah is on his deathbed. And he is uh, prophesying and blessing 
his kids. And one of his kids' name is Judah. And he says this in 49, verse 8. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And as we read some of these blessings, we're often like, I don't know what is going on here. Like, what does this mean? What is the purpose? I, this is mysterious prophetic language. But what we see in, in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is described as a member of the house of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophetic word. He is the king. His scepter will never leave his hands. His kingdom will never end. And through the lives of the patriarchs and their families, we see God fulfilling his promise to make him a great nation. Sin, disbelief, foolishness, selfishness, all this stuff are part of the story, but God doesn't ever give up. He chooses to use sinful people to bring about His blessing and to bring about His salvation. Abraham and the patriarchs are chosen to be a blessing to others, which is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the promise made to Eve, of the promise made to Abraham, of the promise made to Isaac and Jacob. Jesus the perfect one became a curse so that we could receive God's blessing. And I'm so grateful that we have received the most amazing blessing. Right? We, God's enemies, in full-on rebellion against Him, we were loved. And God sent His Son Jesus to adopt us as sons and daughters. Not because of our good keeping of the law, but because of His faithfulness. And because of His faithfulness, when we find ourselves in Him, we are counted as righteous. So we'll close by, going, by trying to figure out what do we do with this? Does this change our lives at all? And I hope that it can. Uh, if we as Christ followers are to take, up, take responsibility for this idea of being a blessing, being blessed so that we can be a blessing, what does that look like? We saw earlier that blessings are these good things that God brings into our lives. And they might be material or immaterial. Uh, things that we have received like finances and food and time and strength, our mental capacities, grace, mercy, and love, we have received all these things. But they're not to end with us. We're supposed to look for ways to share these blessings with others. So I want to ask you to think about this week, what have I been given that I can give to others? What have I been given so that 
that I can give to others? How do I step into this call to be a channel of blessing? Not just a reservoir of blessing, right? But a channel of blessing into my family, into my community, into my sphere of influence. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we we thank you uh, for the stories of, of the patriarchs that reveal that even though we can be a mess sometimes, God, that doesn't mean that you can't use us or that you won't use us. Lord, help us to uh, be a blessing to others this week. Help us to, to fully understand, to fully receive your love and your grace and your mercy and all of your blessing. And show us ways that we can pour that out on others. Lord, we want to be part of your story. We want to be part of what you are doing in the earth. Even here in Vandalia, here in Cass County. Lord Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome.